People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello, 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 and welcome back to People's Poetry Podcast. Thank you ever so much for tuning in. This is Series 3. I can't believe we've already had three series in a year. What a year it has been. This is the poetry podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, an aspiring poet and teacher alike, as I travel the UK talking to established poets, as well as poets who have just taken their first steps into the world of poetry, as I try to find out why it is we have just such a love affair with poetry in this country. This is a podcast aimed not just at those who already like poetry, but those who've never really considered it before. I want to show you that there's something in the world of poetry written for you. Now, I was very excited to meet the featured poet for this episode, episode one of series three. I went up to Derby. I've never been to Derby before. It was a great experience. I got to sit with Jamie Thrasivulu in his local boozer as we spoke about his amazing debut collection, Owl Man, out on Burning Eye Books. We talked about the title of poet you know being called or referred to as a poet and coming to terms with that we talked about poetry and education something close to my heart we talked about masculinity and a really good conversation around masculinity poetry and football here's derby county fc's official poet so i wanted to hear all about that talked about class pub culture and midlands dialect in particular dialect specifically from derby very interesting i love hearing about different words for things in the same country we talk about bread roll is my example so i'll stop bunnying now and we'll crack straight on i am currently in derby in front of the fantastic jamie thrasivulu thank you uh, for talking to me jamie no worries yeah thanks for coming um up to to derby yeah no it's good i like leaving I like. the capital what's <laughs> going on <laughs> i like getting about we was talking in the car about getting about i think it's important to to come and see uh, places especially as i'm talking to you because the midlands clearly had a massive influence on um your book Al Man. Yeah, definitely. It's um I suppose it's just it's what you kind of the thing I was told when I first started writing is like write what you know. Yeah. Um so I suppose that book is very much of that and the sort of Derby and Derbyshire dialect. And even yeah, the even the wider Midlands dialect probably bleeds onto the page quite a bit. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, that's something I was going to ask you about later on. Um, but Owl Man is honestly one of my favourite things that's come out of 2019. I, I, I couldn't put it down. Um, it's fantastic. When people think poet, um, you know, I'm an aspiring poet, which is part of the reason I do this, to go and talk to other poets. You're a poet. I, I don't think people think of people like me and you. Um, they don't, we don't spring to mind. So how did it all start for you, poetry? Um well, I, I, I suppose m- most of my life I was living it in two in two worlds. So I had the like an arty side, and then I also had um, like a, you know just a scallywag side, really, yeah. just getting into trouble all the time. But I was always into singing in bands and shouting in bands, like punk bands and kind of rocky sort of stuff. And then I, you know, I'd have a go at spitting bars, but I wasn't really very good at that. I was a bit too slow to be a rapper, so right. it was a. <laughs> um, so I always had that sort of going on since about the age of 14. I would be doing that kind of thing, uh, writing lyrics. So yeah, lyricism, I suppose, is is, is where it started. Um, but then ultimately, I think, you know, I reached a point in my life where I just got in a load of trouble and I just kind of reevaluated stuff and wanted to get a bed, better education. So I went to uni as a mature student and, and I did my uh, A-levels in philosophy, law, psychology. And then I went on to do a degree in American studies on creative writing. And when I was doing the creative writing side, I was lucky enough to meet a poet from Sheffield called Matthew Clegg, who's a really down to earth, just, you know, working class lad. Yeah. Um, that he's brilliant. His, po- his poetry is really good, but he also saw something in me where he was like, oh yeah, I know you've got these grand ideas to write novels, but have you ever thought that, you know, your process is, you know, a bit like a poet? Have you ever right. thought you're a poet? Yeah. And the term instantly didn't sit very well with me. I was like, a poet? I was like, not really, mate. No, I've not really, mm. not really considered myself to be a poet because I suppose I'm, I'm, I maybe had this notion that it was an aboveness to the word. This it's almost the, a loaded word. Poet, yeah, isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It, it carries a lot of connotations. Um, 
that's how I felt. And that's despite the fact that when I was, you know, when I was younger at school, I was lucky enough to go to some GCSE poetry day where there was like John Cooper Clark and, and Benjamin Zephaniah. I think I went on stuff, one yeah, similar, a yeah. similar thing, but he still didn't really, don't get me wrong, I thought they were quite cool guys and, and they, they clearly are, but for some reason, the, the, I, they, I still couldn't get past the poet. Yeah, almost word unattainable poet. what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, I just thought, yeah. well, yeah, they're great, but it doesn't mean I can do it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It still didn't, yeah. I suppose maybe that, that maybe the fact that there's never been, you know, w- when I was growing up, I certainly can't remember there being sort of a leading Midlands voiced poet. Yeah. If you get what I mean, they were all from the North or the South. Do you think if there were more uh, poets sort of exposed to you from your area, talking about things that were relatable to you, that perhaps it would have sat better, the, the label poet? Yeah, probably, if I could have seen myself yeah in that in that label then then maybe i would have worn it quicker <laughs> does that make sense yeah, 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 it's yeah. The, i mean it's like even now you know i'll sit i'll bump into certain people and they'll be like yo bro i heard uh, i heard you're a poet <laughs> like you know as if like a poet's like some being outed as a poet yeah, yeah, yeah in yeah. public is like you know like you like you're being outed as something completely different. Like, Almost like know. Del Boy finding out Rodney's a policeman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 completely. It's like it's like <laughs> what is this guy? He's a bit of a, you know what's he doing? Yeah. yeah. So it, it's it's funny. It's a funny term. But I think that obviously that's opening up and changing. Mm. And I suppose the way I look at it, if I, if hopefully, I mean, there's you know there's a lot of people around Derby that are good at poetry and are doing really well. Yeah. Um, but I suppose hopefully. If if I just continue to do my thing and people see it and it's in people's faces, then yeah, might help other people to to realise that they can do it as well because it's it's not something that's unobtainable. It's just it's kind of set up that way. Yeah, if you get what I mean. I've I've read as well. You you've spoken before about uh, sort of the next revolution coming from spoken word and not music. How important do you believe spoken word to be, especially now because we've got such a divided Britain at the minute? How important do you deem sort of spoken word currently? Yeah, I mean, it's always been important, clearly. You know, if we, if you if you trace back the origins of, of what a poet was to its community, it was sort of there to to give a view of the news or whatever. Yeah. And you could argue that a lot of modern spoken word poetry, po- poetry, spoken word, whatever, whatever yeah, you yeah. want to label it, um, can't, yeah, kind of, it shows that because you do get a lot of, you know, a lot of poetry is soapboxing as well to a, to an extent, but that can be helpful at yeah. times. If if people just nail their colours to the mast, everyone knows where they stand, right? So, so it's got the ability to do that. But it's, it's, I think it's just got the ability to communicate um, the world through snippets. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? So some people can be like, they won't get something until they hear it in a poem and uh, like they won't have that epiphany until yeah. it's maybe they they hear it at a poetry night and they're like oh god that's so true and i've never thought that and it's so, so you can see the power of it taking place mm. in front of your eyes i, th- you I think I mean? the, the, the sort of setting as well i mean one person on stage mm. it's, it's almost as if they are directly speaking to you um especially in spoken words or gigs yeah definitely and i think a lot of spoken word artists like, aren't afraid to use the eye yeah. pronoun you know so at the end of the day but it's not always about the eye yeah, like, yeah. like in my own work but 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 you know I, c- I can see that that can be helpful to an audience as well just the fact that it seems personal yeah. you know is, is kind of helpful but it's you know it's highly important at this th- this moment in time I think I think for, for a number of reasons as well to communicate messages to record stories and to record what's going on now in the world from maybe our perspective yeah um, and not just the, the the headlines, so to speak. Like if you look at the year 2019, I think if you look at the year 2019 in poetry, it'll probably reflect what's going on in the world more than the year 2019 in terms of the headlines, if you get yeah, what I mean. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's it's vitally important that, that um, all, you know, all narratives are recorded because at the end of the day, that's what a poet's job is, first and foremost, in, in, in my opinion. Almost you know? taps into this sort of citizen journalism type thing. Where, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think there's, the, and and certainly a lot of the more contemporary artists are well tapped into that, you know, and and, and good. <laughs> yeah. So on the back of that, do you do you still think poetry is seen as elitist? Because I, I mean, this was one of the reasons I started doing this podcast. Is um, I feel 
especially when I read your book, me and you are from similar areas, despite being, you know, miles apart in the country. And we've, we've perhaps had uh, elements of our upbringing that have been quite similar. And I, I, everything you just said about being labelled a poet, when I first started writing poetry uh, in sixth form, I almost kept it a secret from, you know, the boys that I hung about with because I thought that's not going to wash with them. So in my head, it has always been this elitist thing. And then the fact that I was then, you know, for, I had to study, uh, you know, Percy Bysshe Shelley or Bronte. I thought, oh, this is a bit, uh, this is a bit highbrow. I don't think that's the case anymore. Do you still think people view it as elitist? Um, yeah. 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 Just, just predominantly from the reaction I get from doing the education work. Like, education work is a real grounder yeah. when it comes to poetry. Um, because the kids still have this impression. They don't have this immediate impression that poetry is cool. Right. You have to win that. Okay. <laughs> and it's, you won't even win most of the time. Do you get what I mean? Which yeah. it ain't about winning. That's probably the wrong way to put it. I just mean you have to show them that there is another side to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because the side that they've got is very much what they've seen in school. So, you know, probably... That says a lot about the poetry we're exposing children to then, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, I've always said, you know, the re the relationship between a poet and a school is hugely important, but it's as much about seeing it in the flesh. You, yeah. can, you can only, you know, I know there's lots of teachers will try their best to be enthusiastic with the GCSE anthology, and maybe some of them have lost their enthusiasm, and I don't blame them either. Yeah. Um, but there's something different about a poet reading poetry or performing poetry compared to a teacher doing it. Yeah. Because I'm not, I mean, if you've got a teacher that does both, that's great. And that's lucky Yeah. that if for a school to have a teacher who's a poet, who understands how to read poetry for starters, because there is, you do, you know, there is a rhythm to it. And if you just read a poem without being aware of the rhythm, that could have a negative effect on the poem. Can I get that in writing so I can have that on my CV? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> they definitely. know how lucky they are to No, it's me, a good yeah. thing. It's a good thing because I think that's part of the problem. It's, it's, the passion for the conversation needs to be there as yeah. soon as it's introduced. If it's introduced to the kids just because it's got to be introduced to the kids and that's all there is to it. Something you have to do to get your GCSE. Yeah, 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 then, yeah. then I think that's their relationship with it. It's like a work relationship. Yeah. It's not like a, actually this is something that, yeah, I have to work for at school, but also there's another side to it that I can actively engage with and yeah. enjoy. You know? Yeah, I fully agree. Let's talk about Owlman because it, it's amazing. So Owlman touches on so many different issues. For anyone that hasn't read it, could you, it's a big task here, give a sort of a brief overview perhaps of Owlman. Mm -hmm. I'm tempted to just take the book off you and, uh, and read the description on the back, but <laughs> but I'm, I'm not going to cheat. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it off the top of my head. So I suppose it's, it interrogates quite a lot about masculinity, about mental health, about addiction, about violence, criminality, um, class, um, class divisions, the political elite. Um, yeah, so it's so it's kind, of, but it interrogates, but it doesn't intend to give any answers. I'm yeah. not trying to give any answers. I'm just sort of saying, this is how. It almost starts the thought process. Yeah, someone, this is yeah. how we're living. You yeah. know, and I don't just mean me, you know, a lot of those stories in there aren't just my mm. experiences. They're experiences that have been close to me from mm. people who aren't here anymore or people who are still here, but not in a fit state to tell their story kind of thing. You yeah. know, there's, there's a there's a lot of pain in the book. It was it was painful to write. I still don't really I still don't really sit well with it now, if I'm being honest. It's like something I've put out there, but it's like I've released um I don't know, I've released something that I'm still very uncomfortable with. Well, I saw it because I was going to ask you, I mean, a collection like that, how how long does that take to put together? Because I, I read in the sort of the bit of the back that you've written where you're thanking certain people, you, you said it almost nearly killed you writing it. Yeah, because I had to bring up a lot of stuff from the past and maybe go back into frames of mind mm. within the narratives that maybe I was sort of trying to leave behind. But then when you're writing about them, yeah. I don't know, maybe you just... Maybe it's a bit of that thing about getting in character. I'm not really sure, but but it, yeah, it can have a negative effect when you when you're bringing all this kind of stuff back up. If it's stuff that you maybe thought you'd dealt with, yeah, do you get what I mean. So it's important to write, but a lot of the time I felt like I was a conduit, like I just needed to. It was a message I had to communicate because the le if people sort of opt out of communicating the message, then it never really gets spoken about. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So for me, it was about, well, let's just go with it. <laughs> Even if that bit in the book really makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Just go with it. I, I, I think it's, it's part of an element of this collection that makes it so incredible is that you can see these aren't poems you've written for the collection. It is a collection of, you know, painful memories and stories, as you said, put into this book in, in a, a beautiful order. Um, yeah, I think it, it really, it, I can understand why, yeah, perhaps it would have been difficult for you to write some of those poems, but it, it, it's paid off. I think it's, it's yeah. great. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. It's kind of weird, yeah, because I, mate, it still feels uncomfortable mm. to me. But it was a necessity. Yeah. And not, I don't write for comfort anyway. I'm not yeah. writing so people go, oh, la di da, well done, well done, bravo, and all that. That's never my intention. It's a very selfish act to me, to be yeah. honest. So I, I write first and foremost for myself, and then I'll test the, the material out on an audience or people. And see how see how the message communicates with them, and sort of go off that vibe. And yeah, you know, sometimes even if it, the poem goes down badly, I know it's going gone down badly for the right reasons. Yeah. So do, do you get what I mean? So yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. kind of this. Uh, it's got to serve me first and foremost. But even if it does serve me, it still doesn't necessarily leave me feeling very comfortable. Do you get what I mean? But I'm, I'm I've kind of just got used to the discomfort. Yeah. <laughs> One of the themes I want to talk about a bit more is masculinity. And, you know, it's a massive theme in this collection. The poem uh, Acts 1, uh, Purge, you know, is, is a very masculine view of grief. Um, mm. And I also felt it was it was great at sort of demonstrating the pressure from society to, to be or act a certain way. You've got um, masculinity and sort of this idea of pride in Saturday morning, Sunday morning, which yeah. I, I think it was a powerful, powerful poem. Why are these, why are there sorry, like so many pressures on men, do you think, to create um, a facade which they can work really hard on not having it crumble? I think it's, I always relate it directly down to the, uh, you know, environment really and, right. and upbringing and what you've had to tolerate as a person um, when you're growing up. You know, I think there's a lot of people that have just lived in the leafy suburbs that fail to understand what it's like to grow up on a council estate or mm -hmm. a terrace street yeah. and have to fight from the minute you walk out your door and you're a new kid around there or whatever. Because the first thing that you're judged on is who are you? Yeah. How tough are you? Yeah. And that's because in terms of like the underclass masculine experience, it's like it's hyper masculine because everything's so over the top because you, nobody's really got anything. So the only thing you can have is your pride and your punch and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of, I've always sort of looked at it and gone, well, it's a totally different thing in terms of class. You know, like yeah. there's, there's people I know that I'm never going to change the way they view masculinity whatsoever. I could have as many conversations about it with them and they're still going to think I'm weird. Yeah. Just even thinking about it in that way and thinking twice about throwing a punch, all those kind of things. It's, yeah. it's, it's sort of like, it's part of, it's part of you. Is it something you can alter, do you think? <sighs> I mean, I'd, you know, I, I think you've got to keep chipping away, but I think ultimately societal, societal conditions need to, need to change so that people can have good role models and people can have you know, decent upbringing. Yeah. Like, like why, why, why hasn't everybody got a decent upbringing? Yeah. You know, that's just not the case and we know that. So there's so many things that impact upon the experience and there's so many, there's so many outside issues that interfere with, you know, what what is the male role model people are taking in? Mm. So if you're from a rougher area, so to speak, you know, which I don't mind saying, I wear that with pride, you know, I've, you know, it's, um, if you've had that r more rough and tumble experience, then and the, and everybody you looked up to or was maybe fearful of had was doing the same, you just kind of it's like monkey monkey follow monkey in it monkey yeah. see monkey do it's like well, what else do you do? I've seen how this guy has an easier life. It's by fighting yeah. and punching that guy down when that guy says something to him. That's how they have an easier life. Yeah. So as soon as I figured, you know, it started with me people picking on me over my surname. Um, and then after a while, I just got sick of people picking on me over my surname. So I started fighting back. And mm. then, 
you become good at fighting back and you get used to fighting all the time and then you maybe get good at fighting then other people recognise you get good at fighting so before you know it you're rolling around with a load of people who are good at fighting and thinking you're good at fighting and it's like let's go and do some fighting (laughs) and that's just kind of how it goes and it can take take you a long time to think this is pathetic this is like not the way to go on as a human being but you need to kind of I think you need to have a click in your head Mm. and that's what happened to me but I still know that ultimately if push comes to shove I'll always defend myself yeah. and, and, and ultimately yeah it's probably always there under the surface is that is that hyper masculine you know capability so it is <laughs> it's something you you can be mindful of but ultimately it's, it's yeah, always going to be there because a lot of it's there because of protection anyway so yeah. a lot of it is a protective instinct and it's very hard to explain to people a lot and, and I'll call these people theorists who sort of have an ideology about violence that it's there's you, you know that it's it's a choice kind of thing. It's not always a choice. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like sometimes it's a it is a protection. And I think when it becomes an element of your nature that that that's like that, it's hard to shake it off. Yeah, we have a lot of um, talks. Teachers, CPD, they come in and they 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 give these talks uh, training. And uh, we had one recently, uh, a, a guy who wrote a book called Boys Don't Try, and it focuses a lot on uh, masculinity. And yeah. And it, w- it was very interesting. Um, but there's a term that gets banded about a lot, no matter what the CPD session is. I hear this term, toxic masculinity, <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah. What's your view on that term? It clearly exists. Yeah. But also, there tends to be this middle class narrative. I mean, you, basically, if you look at most of the narratives that, that misuse such a term and weaponize such a term, mm-hmm. you'll notice a common theme that the, the, these are middle class theorists that are writing and applying it to everything. So it's, it's tended to be that now anything that's masculine is toxic. Yeah. Where that's just not true. Do you get what I mean? That, like if, if, you know, I don't think men should, should not be proud of being men. They, sh- they should be happy to be men and they should be allowed to be men and they should allow to be a man's man if we want to still use that term like that should still be allowed but I think there's a tendency for people to weaponize the term mm-hmm. and just say any kind of male behavior whatsoever is toxic yeah but then these these people probably turn around the same breath and say um behavior is not gendered so this is kind of the battle that we're up against if you get what I mean yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's there's not really if you ask me if you've got a panel of university educated professors discussing toxic masculinity who've probably never really been in an environment where they've really seen hyper toxic masculinity yeah because they'd be too scared to be in that pub for starters they wouldn't want to walk in there because they'd be like oh we're not going in here it's full of commoners then for me what 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 are they really adding to a conversation they need to get down on the ground they need to go and speak to the people it's all good having these theories, but a lot of these theories aren't coming from the real world. And I think we have to take into consideration the real world. Mm. So there's a lot of work to do. And there's a lot of work to do in terms of dis- you know, um, showing men about their, their, their toxic behavior because it exists, obviously. But yeah. not every single male action is toxic. Yeah. You get what I mean? Whereas I think we now live in a world where it's like, oh, he goes to the gym or I watch him. He like he likes looking after his body. I watch him. You know what I mean. He like he likes. It's just kind of it's gone a bit too over the top. Yeah, an area that I'm going to talk more about with you in a moment is football. But this idea of masculinity. I mean, it, I'm certainly you're a Derby fan. I'm a Millwall fan. It, it, it's evident at, at football games. You do see heightened masculinity, if you like. And um, why why do you think? This is because I, I think it's a very British thing as well. Because I was watching something the other day, I don't know if you've seen it, it's a vice on Facebook. There's that bloke in America who reckons he's the uh, Miami casuals, but they haven't got a football team and it's okay. only him. <laughs> and he keeps calling out sort of Millwall and Stoke and all these, all these clubs. Um, you know, you've got to share this with me. Yeah. So it sounds like a good giraffe. And the journo went over there and he's talking to him. And they went to uh, a football game, in, or soccer game, as they call it, in America. And it's very family-orientated football yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, but over here, we've got hooliganism. It's, it's very tribal. Even now, I know you know it's calmed down a lot, and the world has changed, and we are recognising things such as masculinity. Why do you think things like football have still got that? I think at the end of the day, well, what we're dealing with is emotion. Yeah. Yeah. So football audiences are the most emotional audiences in the whole entire world. 
because it's their whole life and their whole identity yeah. is pinned on the hopes and dreams of a football club. Because, and I think it's more, for me, it's, it's going to be there more in clubs that are local. Mm-hmm. So the the local populace support the club. Yeah, like you're like you know with with all, like anyone around your area supports Millwall or or should do that. That's the attitude of the people in your ends. Yeah, in Derby it's the same attitude. Yeah, if you don't support Derby, why don't you support Derby? Because you're from Derby. Yeah. So therefore, the whole the whole identity of the club is like it's like stamped on you without having a tattoo. Do you yeah. get what I mean? So yeah. so I just think that. Our fans are more emotional than people who, and I don't care, and I don't care if this upsets people who support football clubs that are based where they're not from. Mm-hmm. I don't think they can share the same passion as supporting a club that's where you're from, and I'd, I'd refuse to believe it. I yeah. just refuse to believe it. I don't care. People can argue about that with me all they want. I'm, I'm not having it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's that passion that sort of drives. Yeah, that drives that, and then. I don't know. It's just kind of part, like you say. It's it's very British to, to just sort of act like that. And if you well, you think about the poetry of football, you know, football chants. It's mm. all quite aggressive. Yeah, it's quite aggressive, rowdy stuff. Yeah, it's not like you know, but and even the sing-alongs, the song that the, the the original chant is based on might be a really lovely mellow pop song, but a football stadium will make it sound hyper <laughs> and like ranty and masculine. So. It, I think it goes hand in hand, but you know, I think we must always remember as well that there's a hell of a lot of women go to football now, and they get involved just as much as the men at football. Yeah, you know, and 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 I think that's great. You yeah, know? but I just think maybe it's a a hyped environment. Yeah, and it's, it's just it's, full of passion. There's nothing like a football match. It's is very, it? it's very concentrated. So it's it's yeah. not you, you can't compare it to reality. There's nothing like a football match. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if I say to you, what can you compare to a football match? Yeah, you're right. No. You're comparing it to a football match. You know, yeah. like nothing compares to a football match. Do you get what I mean? When you're in the when you're in the the end in an away end at a stadium or whatever, surrounded by all your people, there's nothing like that feeling. Yeah, yeah. Football and poetry are not two things that most people would sort of mutually exclusive. They wouldn't put them together. However, I am sitting with Derby County's official poet. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Since last season, since so since Lampard came in, actually. So how did that come about? Having an official poet. Um, well, it's it's it's. I must say that the power of the mind mm-hmm. cannot be under, underestimated. About four years ago, I said to my missus, I said, "I'm going to be Derby County's first ever <laughs> <laughs> poet." I said, "I don't know how it's going to happen. We've never had one. I have it's a dream. Happen. I have a dream. That <laughs> was my have a dream moment." Yeah. And it was quite funny. I originally met this director that was there and he gave me his email. So I wrote an email to him putting it, and, it, and it, he never got back to me. And then shortly the director left, actually. Right. So I tried, I tried about four years ago to, to directly chase them, but it, 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 nothing ever came of it. So anyway, like last year, I did a gig in about June last year for the Joe Cox Memorial Foundation. And it was on Normanton Park in Derby. And there's a chalkboard on the park as well. And they asked me if I'd pen a verse of poetry or you know chalk a verse of poetry on the board so I had this one yeah there's this one verse about um, Stevie Bloomer watches down on the ashes of our baseball ground and because I wanted to write something that represented the area because Stevie Bloomer was from Pear Tree in Normanton so that because I was in that area I was like well I want to write a verse that kind of reflects the area so I just wrote that verse by chance not really thinking about the significance of it in terms of being Derby County or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, I think it was about a week later, the Punjabi Rams Association, which is like a a, a branch of football supporters from, from the Punjabi community in Derby, they're brilliant, do loads of community work, great people, just brilliant. I can't, I can't sing nothing but praises for them. Well, they, they took a photo and then they tagged a Derby County official and the comms team, like... Uh, i.e. Owen Bradley, who works at Rams TV. They tagged them all in and says, you're missing a trick here. This lad's nationally acclaimed poet. Because by then I'd won my first award and stuff. Yeah. And published, so I could claim to be nationally acclaimed <laughs> in Derby, at least anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so, so, they, so they just tweeted out and they were like, yeah, you, you know, you're missing a trick. You should get him involved. He's a massive Rams fan. And then they just tweeted back saying like, yeah, we might have something. And then, yeah, so a couple of weeks later, I got an email just saying, would you like to write a poem? Um, motivational kind of poem for, for the football club and I had no idea it was going to get 
used in the ground. Yeah. And yeah, then a couple of weeks later, they were like, yeah, it's going to be live on the, it's going to be basically on the big screen before every home game. Amazing. And it has been ever since, since and last August. And I've done it three times on the pitch. And it's well. on the wall in this boozer we're in now as yeah, well. Yeah, it's there on the go. wall in this boozer we're in now. There's, I think there's a couple of boozers in Derby got it on the wall and then lots of people in Derby have got, the, got, got it already. So I suppose the next question I need to ask then, having spoke about masculinity and, and how it's sort of heightened in a football ground, how is your poetry or poetry in general received at Pride Park? Amazingly, it, well, it's, for me, I, yeah, that's a bit wrong again because I've already stated that, you know, football is an emotional thing, so... It was a, it was a poet, another poet I know. Um, I think what did he say? Oh yeah, it's like the perfect audience for poetry because they're already dead emotional. Yeah, I think he's he's right to say that. Um, and so yeah, it, it kind of gets received a lot better than you'd think. Yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy, especially when I've done it live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the roar after I've done it has been yeah unbelievable. Like the first time I did it, it kind of just took me out with the adrenaline hit to be honest. Uh, um, and it's weird because it's like even this morning I got, um, you know, a couple of messages off Derby fans just saying, oh, I just want to let you know I really like your poem and, and I get that every week. Yeah. So every week I get different people, a lot of blokes as well, you know, like that tell me oh, I'd never be into poetry normally but I love your poem. Yeah. And stuff like that. So I think it, it's a good arena for it and it has in it, I think it has. Great. It's another, yet another avenue sort of exposing yeah. people to poetry. And also, changing the uh, perception and idea of what poetry is and what poetry can mean. Yeah. You know, it's the only, you know, the Derby, the yeah, that Derby County poem and the, the piece I've just done for the BBC and National Poetry Day, they're the only pieces I've ever really written where I'm like, right, this has an audience. Mm-hmm. I've never really cared about the audience. Yeah. That, that, you know, it sounds quite horrible to say that, but when you're writing something that's for other people, for your football club, for your community, then it really does matter. Yeah. And that's when you do care. Do you get what I mean? So it's a different way of writing as well. It was, a, it was, a, it was high pressured, you know. High yeah, pressured. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah, and some people don't like it. I get the odd troll, but that's fine. You know, I can. For, I, forest fans mainly. I've had a few <laughs> forest fans, but you know, they're they're, they're not the best at trolling. But, um, <laughs> They're not very original. And um, no, no, I've had trolling off my own fans, yeah, off some Derby oh, fans. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I normally just put like a love on it, just, just love whatever <laughs> they say. So I can I could see watching the videos of how much it meant to you out out on the pitch, um, performing We Are Derby. The first time you did it, though, was the first time you did it against Forrest? Or? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, how was that? <laughs> did you win that game? No, we drew, but I think oh. it worked out. It was a boring nil-nil draw. Right. I think it worked out well for me because I was probably... So it would have stood out even more. The yeah, poem. well, yeah. that's what people said. A lot of people were like, oh, well, thank God you performed because at least there was something that was worth watching. Yeah. Because it was a really drab Monday night, December game. You know, it, it, it was it was an awful game of football, actually. But as a Derby fan, to recite that in front of a stand of Forest fans and yeah, it was, it, your home fans, that must have been amazing. It was mad, yeah. It, it was, it was, it. I don't normally get nervous about doing poetry, but it was that was nerve wracking the mm. first time. I mean, since then, I've kind of I've done it twice since, and I'm I suppose I've relaxed into the role. It's probably how you'd uh, term it, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, the feeling was, yeah, it's not like anything else. I, I mean, I always say that I've ruined my poetry career already because, I, you know, what am I going to do that's going to match <laughs> yeah. doing, a, you know, a, a Derby Forest game yeah, yeah, yeah. and being applauded off the pitch? It was like, you know, the sound was like a jumbo jet taking yeah. off and the, and the feeling, the vibrations through my body was as well. So I've kind of experienced the ultimate buzz, I feel. We just... So, uh, Wait yeah. for him to name a stand after you. That's next. it, yeah. Get yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> no chance of that. It'd take up too many letters. Uh, we were talking in the car on the way here, but um, as I was reading, Alman, there's, there's quite a few references to the British press. What do you think about the, the state of our, our press in this country at the moment? Well, there's, there's a lot wrong with it, let's face it. Um, it's owned by a small percentage of oligarchs, so we have to, we have to question the you know the bias and plurality of the of, of the press at all times um even a public institution such as the bbc um i think you have to you have to watch everyone you mm. know there's there's not really i don't think there's any trusted news source if you're looking at it for facts right i think you'll get a lot of opinion so yeah. i think you've just got to kind of be careful as to as to where it goes and i think ultimately at the minute the way it is set up is to just divide the country. That's purely its intention at the minute. 
and that could be down to a number of reasons that would probably be considered conspiracy theory or whatever yeah when it comes down to it um so i won't go too deep into those into, into those kind of um territories but i think it's pretty simple really if you get the people at the bottom all falling out of each other all, all arguing with each other then it's far easier for them above to control and it's the most basic and, and age-old tactic of politics and the, you know, there's a great there's a great quote, isn't there? Like something like, um, "If a nation becomes as debased as the media, then you know, mm. basically society is kind of screwed." Do you think that's why they're perhaps so against properly independently regulating it? Because even the regulation of the press is, you know, they're in the pockets of Murdoch. That Ipso is made up of, you know, the, the existing newspapers. Yeah, that's the point. It's kind of, um, it's a system that's built up to benefit those that are already gaining from it. And it always will be. So I think, the, the, like for me, I think, I think people's lives would be healthier if they just left it alone. Yeah. I mean, I can go days now without watching any of it because I just know it's all propaganda. There's only so much of it you can take in there until yeah. so, so you just get annoyed with it. And I think that, you know, you've always just got to search for the truth. Stick and, and to poetry, you probably yeah, learn more. Yeah, stick to poetry. You'll yeah. learn more than you will from the news anyway. I've always believed that. So your our man's sort of split into four sections, if you like, and the, the bit named our man is the bulk of the collection. And reading it, I was totally immersed, right the way up to sort of the climatic uh, affirmation poem. Which is incredible. I mean, what was the writing process behind that that poem at the end? Because that's Oof, that. Yeah, that was that was from a place of extreme pain. That poem. It's it's. Uh, I've never read it live, right? Because I just don't know how I'll react to reading it live. Do you oh, get what I mean? Because, read, be, read. because it's. I've sort of, I've put it in my set before, and took it out, and put it in my set and took mm. it out, and never got round to doing it because. With that poem, I was in a really, really dark place um, from when that poem is set. And I tried to deal with it in a way as if I'd gone through with my thoughts. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Because I knew it was important to write it. This comes back to what I was saying, like I felt like a conduit at times because I didn't really want to talk about it. Mm. But I felt that by writing about it, it was important. You know, it's not stuff I've not discussed with people, but I didn't yeah. necessarily feel comfortable writing about it, which is kind of weird. Well, it made know. it made me feel sort of sick with nerves almost reading it because yeah. you could see where it was going. Yeah. It's, it, it, and it's, it built it's, up and built it's up. It's kind of that whole process. And, and, and I don't know. I, I suppose I hope I read it. And I suppose maybe someone, I hope some other people will read it and realise that they're not the only people who've been that deep yeah, in the, um, I suppose the madness of of of, of depression mm. um, and the seas of sort of you know suicide, thinking that there is no other way out for the other than you to just just to do that. Well, again, it goes back to what you said earlier. You, this collection's not giving answers; it's it's starting the process of yeah. talking about it. Which, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, some some parts of that poem are just like. I find it tough to read back. Mm. You know, it was the hardest one to edit. The, yeah. the, the bulk of the editing was that poem because I just couldn't. It was like going back through it was like just painful. Yeah. Because I, because I very much wrote it at a time in a notebook, and then I didn't edit it too much. I just had to make it make sense. If yeah. You know what I mean, it was it was just kind of, you know, there was a crazy, you know, it's crazy, you know. But I want people to know that you know they're not the only one who, who can who can lose it like that because yeah. I was googling. I was Googling ways to, you know, I was Googling inventive ways to commit suicide. And that's not a joke. You know yeah. what I mean? That's, that's the truth. That's the basis of where the poem came from. And I sat back after I'd gone through the mania of it all and I kind of thought to myself, that's really fucked up. I, th I think I mean? it as well. It's and I thought, I've, you know what? And when I started writing about it, I thought, well, I, you know, I don't really want to write about it, but I've got to write yeah. about it. I think it's, re it's very clear in the poem that it's not a joke. And I think it beautifully almost links that sort of masculine pride sort of notion, even at his lowest point, 
he still wants to go out on a different way. And it's that it's that pride that's gripped him. Yeah, it's, I think it's it, it's it's hard to read, but it is essential reading. I think it is brilliantly brilliantly done. Yeah, yeah, it was like I say, it was tough. I, it, again, I like I say, the collection will probably never sit comfortably with me, mm. but but it's not mine anymore, so to speak. It's out there now, isn't it? So, class is another sort of theme that's evident throughout this collection and you know I'm surprised at the amount of people I still meet especially in London certain parts of London I have to say who dismiss the idea of a class divide they say there is no such thing anymore what do you say to those sort of people um I'd imagine you'd have to be speaking from a position of privilege to make such an assumption anyway um and such a deluded statement Mm. to be totally honest um Oh, I'd say it's probably n- never been more evident than for than for many years. You know, it's mm. uh, goes hand in hand with a Tory government, really, um, and the austerity. Oh, but it's all right. Austerity is it's over now. No, it's over it now, isn't it? Yeah, sorry, I'm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so that, and, and yeah, I think it's to me, it's of no surprise that that, that we are where we are, particularly in terms of. You know, if you if you just look at the structure of children, so children from more privileged areas will have parents who can afford to let them go and play the flute mm. and um, learn the drums or go and attend squash club or whatever their interest is, their parents can probably afford it. The kids from the areas that I tend to go and work in mm-hmm. will have had their youth club shut down where all the things they were into, such as grime artists going in and working with them and producing music or, um, you know, dance teachers going in and working with the girls and doing some dance. And the lads, sorry, as well. Let's not let's not gender that. Mm. It's it's completely the, the, the lads and the girls into the same thing. Some of them like emceeing, some of them like dancing, break dancing. All these, all these great things go, take place in the youth club predominantly in terms of the lower class experience because it's not something that mum and dad have got the money for. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's if mum and dad are together, by the way, as well. So that's that's the other kind of thing. Um, for me, I, I don't know. Like, you know, if these people think the class divide doesn't exist, come and work with me for, come work with me for a week. Come on, some of the jobs I go on. Mm. Just tell me it don't exist, mate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Tell me it don't exist. Yeah, because I see it and remember, I'm still going into that environment with a position of privilege myself. I'm I'm a writer with an audience now. Yeah. So ultimately, I have a position. Of, I'm from a position of privilege, but I can still see how much work there is to do. You know, I'm a person that's like you know lucky that I don't have to work a rubbish job anymore, and I don't have to work at KFC anymore like I did when I was younger. I don't. That's not my option in life. Whereas you know, there's kids working out there that. That is their option. Is KFC is is, is and and th- that'll be the big employer in their area. But obviously, you know, there's no there's no problem with class at all, is there? Mm. Another sort of we spoke about it before, but element of the book is is this pub culture, which I absolutely adore. Uh, it's quite evident you do. We sat in your local here, and the poem in particular that sort of epitomised it for me, and I could almost hear my local was a walking wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love that poem. And pop culture's sort of in decline. It, why is it important to preserve this sort of British pub culture? Yeah, because at the end of the day, a lot of you know a lot of the best poems come out of a pub, which they come uh, out of that experience. Clearly, that one did as well. Yeah, which is, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just some banter. Mm. The now turns out ain't even true. It turns out the the walking wardrobe is actually good. But <laughs> You know, this this is the kind of rumours that can circulate a pub. Yeah. So now I've got a poem in a book that claims the walking wardrobe's no good, but it's <laughs> actually meant to be good. So do you get what I'm trying to say? And this got confirmed by another another one of the uh, accused mates yeah. the other week. So it's like I say that, you know, the pub holds a lot of stories. And I think undeniably, you know, the real pub environment is, is, is where people come to socialise. It's where they came to socialise and... Mm. get to know each other and it's kind of the centre of the community so if you want to preserve the stories of a community then in my opinion you need to go looking in the pubs yeah and you need to go looking in like the you know the social centres whatever it is the community centres those kind of places you know they're they're the kind of places where you want to do a writing residency I've always said um, you know if you want to get a real 
taste of what an area or a town is like vi- visit the local pubs yeah definitely yeah. definitely I 100% agree yeah I also felt like um, and I, I could be wrong here but as I was reading uh, the poems I felt like there was perhaps this sort of underlying conflict with modern day versus a simpler time perhaps would you say that's that's a fair observation <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. definitely because I, th- I think that that's a, that's a bit of a that's kind of a bit of a problem and and, it, and, it, and again you know I'd, I'd find it not hard not to bring class into it but if you're working right in the real world and you're just trying to live a real life pay mm. your bills and stuff like that you ain't really got time for a lot of these bigger conversations, so to speak, that us in, uh, alleged intellectuals or whatever, you know, would supposedly... We, we've, we make time for these kind of things. Some yeah. people haven't got time for that. Yeah. So therefore, when these big conversations happen, people only... They, they either dismiss it or it's not being approached in a way that they can find any benefit of discussing it. Mm. Or, you, you know... Yeah, I kind of think that's kind of where we are in the world. We... We're trying to, you know, times should have changed 100% and I'm glad they have. Yeah. But at the same time, I think we have to accept that there are different ways to sell that to people who maybe aren't buying into the rhetoric yeah. of how it's been put across. And again, it comes a bit down to what I was saying about the masculinity argument, the toxic masculinity argument. In fact, politics in general, in fact, the whole world in general. The problem is that middle class people have come in and started talking for people like me and that don't work. Yeah. And and a lot of people see that. Do you know what I mean? Which is probably why as a poet, I can walk around Derby not be hated because I'm not trying to talk like a ponce. Yeah. If I was talk, trying to talk like, you know, like a you know typical Oxbridge educated, whatever, then it wouldn't sit well. And I think that's all people see. So when they see the conversations of the real world, they don't see anybody real having these conversations. So there needs to be a higher proportion of sort of working class writers that enter the mainstream to have that balance. I think everything. Politicians, even if you go down your local council and whatever and you've got to speak to the manager, you can always guarantee they ain't going to speak like a Derby lad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or a Derby lass, they're not going to. So I think there's a, there's a lot of work to do in all in all areas of society, and I think at the end of the day, how can you expect people to be so prepared for this new world that is a privileged world as well? You yeah, know, it's a world of we're all university educated now. We all see the world in that way now. We all know that it works like this now. Well, if you've just worked all your life, then how are you being brought into that world? Do you get what I mean? So, yeah. So I think there's a lot to be said. You know, obviously I'm you know I've got my degree, and I'm I'm part way through doing my masters so I talk again from a position recognizing that I've got a privilege from doing that how how much do you feel your degree helped with your writing because I went to university and I don't think it helped particularly much yeah I think what it maybe helped me do was give me confidence because somebody else invested their confidence within me and made me notice that I maybe had Mm. a bit of a talent for doing it and I think the other thing it did was expose me to stuff I wouldn't have read before. Right, yeah. Which maybe helped, uh, which, it, yeah, has undoubtedly helped yeah. the way I work as an artist. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say it was valid, but I think also I'd already, you know, I, I, what was I? I think I was 23 or 24 when I started my foundation year. So I'd already lived a lot. So it'd be impossible for me to quantify the difference between that and going at 18. Yeah. You spoke earlier, you mentioned sort of you wouldn't see someone on a council speak like a, a Derby lass or a Derby lad. Colloquial language is something uh, that really added to the experience of this collection. And, you know, I had to Google Bazza. Yeah, uh, give it the buzzer. Um, but Bocker as well. Bocker, so yeah, yeah. Bocker yeah. Wright. That's it. I, I yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was, he was an old homeless guy that, that lived around the city. So uh, for a while, the, the term Bocker was around in Derby. But I thought it was like a national thing. Right, yeah. And then I realised it wasn't, so I was like, well, we're going to preserve this word then, aren't we? Yeah. And there's, so a lot of it's very conscious. A lot, a, a lot of the colloquialisms in there are a very conscious effort to preserve the dialect of Derby because we, we don't have many published poets mm. and we may not have many published poets in the future. Who knows it what's going to happen? It so. wasn't until I lived in the Midlands for three years that I, I found out how many words there were in one country for a bread roll. No, no, a cob. Yeah, right, yeah, well, see, yeah we're, in, we're, we're in the cob neck of the <laughs> they woods they start here. swearing at me now the interview was going so nice <laughs> but cob 
balm cake batch there's, there's loads. All, oh yeah loads yeah, of loads. Them. But it's great loads. Can, yeah bread cake oh there's loads i've heard loads yeah so a couple of standout poems uh for me obviously we've spoke about uh, the walking wardrobe spoke about affirmation uh i loved that one with nature yeah yeah um, that's quite an old one that is yeah it's yeah. just the imagery so powerful mm. but very poignant almost as well it's great uh, and tid uh, i loved because yeah. i hate new labor as well <laughs> yeah, so yeah. um i suppose sort of wrapping our chat up for advice for sort of writers you know like aspiring writers like myself or especially working class writers what advice do you have for them because i mean you went from was it silhouette press yeah onto burning eye burning eye i think are an amazing uh, yeah publishers how how did that process happen what's your advice for well yeah i'm really lucky in the fact that you know silhouette press are brilliant as well and they, they they you know continue to support me in terms of if i ever needed any advice or anything they, they'd they be there as people mm. to sort of hit up um with me i mean my I suppose I can't emphasise the importance of obviously working hard at your writing and constantly developing it. So never really looking at a poem and thinking it's finished. Mm. Like even some of the poems that I've now had published, they'll change since I've published them because the, the life of a poem never really, really ends. The, some people argue, yes, it does, but I don't think it does. If you're delivering it live particularly, it always changes. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's... A, just remember that you can always improve. Like you're never the best. You're yeah. n- you never will be the best. Good advice. Um, you can never not improve. Um, you can never, you can never edit hard enough. People, some people, are like, oh yeah, I write it and then I don't edit it, and then I'm like thinking, yeah, great. Well, I'd like to read an edited version because I'd be interested to see what fat you can trim off it. That's just my opinion. You know, poetry is a short form, so. I think editing is really important. A lot of people overlook it because they want to keep all this. They're like, oh, I need to keep the soul of when I wrote it. So like, yeah, that's great. You will still keep the soul because you wrote it. Yeah. But if it's got like lines that you don't need in it, take them out. You know, yeah, it's yeah. kind of simple, but a lot of people get very protective. So, so I'd probably say as well, yeah, don't be too protective over your writing. Take criticism, be open to criticism. Um, seek mentorship if, if if you've got people around you who can help and who are doing well and, and and who do know about whatever it is you need to know about then don't be afraid to ask use them use mm. people that you know um social media presence unfortunately is, is is a big part of it um no no one really wants to do that but you just kind of have to yeah um so don't again don't underestimate the importance of that and, and and by that I mean everything. I mean so you know, have a YouTube channel, have an Instagram, have a Facebook artist page and personal profile and a Twitter and all you know, any other shenanigans you fancy getting involved in. Um and the only you know, there's not many poets I know that don't have it in terms of the the, the modern day, so to speak. They all have it in some realm, whether that's a manager controlling it for him or whatever you've only got like people like simon armitage but yeah again you know he is the poet laureate i don't really think he needs to have social media so yeah. and plus he's you know he's, he's been in every gcse anthology for <laughs> however so he, he's in a bit more of a position to not have to do social media yeah but i think if you are looking to build networks to link up with other artists to support other artists because this is another important thing it, you know it's equally about us giving back as much as it is just about you yeah. I think the moment you just make it about you is the moment that you'll fail, if you can fail at such a thing. Because poetry is a community. You yeah. Know, it is at the end of the day. So, yeah, do all your social media bollocks, as the, uh, as I call it. Um, and just be cool to people as well. Don't be a twat. <laughs> like, you know, really don't. Just really yeah. don't. Because, it, cause it, you know, word gets around. Word gets around, really. Other poets speak to other poets. And so... You know, don't turn up at an open mic event, declare yourself the best poet on the bill and decide you're going to do 12 minutes instead of five minutes on the open mic and stuff like that. I've seen it, you know, yeah. I've seen this kind of behaviour and I don't think people realise they're doing it sometimes. It's not always intentional, but I think, you know, just make an extra effort to be cool and nice to everyone, really. Before I get you to do that horrible thing and plug yourself on social media, yeah. the, the last question I'm going to finish with is a question I've been asking every poet I talk to. Um, and I think you've sort of answered it already, really, when we were talking about the press and 
things like that. But why is it that people are choosing poetry now? You know, we've we've had a record sort of set book sales in poetry mm. last year and this year. Why are people? Why do people choose poetry? Because it's accessible. So if you think about music, you'll need a producer or a band mm-hmm. to work with if you can't play any instruments. Whereas if it's just you and it's your voice, it's very obtainable, easily obtainable. You could turn up at an open mic and go, right, bang, I'm doing it. And you can kind of decide that's what you're doing. Yeah. I suppose in a way, yeah, that's another bit of a t- I just decided like, you know, four years ago that I'd had enough of trying to be a poet I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a bit of confidence and realise that I do have a bit of a talent. I'm not the most talented person in the world, but I have enough to do something, so I'm going to do it. So I think there's, yeah, there's kind of, I think people are are seeing that. Do you get what I mean? And because there's more voices coming out that are just, you know, like people you'd meet down the pub. Yeah. They are maybe seeing themselves reflected more in poets, so they're going to go for it. They're going to reach for it. You know, and like I say, there's nothing more annoying than if you if you're into the music of language. There's nothing more than annoying than relying on a band. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I'll, I'll tell you that from experience. So <laughs> that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, right, Jamie. Where can people find you? Um, and um, are there any local poets, perhaps, that we wouldn't have heard of that we should check out from Derby? Yeah, people from yeah people from Derby that I like. Uh, Sophie Sparham, who I do a lot of work with. Um, Pippa Naya. There's Darren Carey, um, who's originally from Mansfield, so I'll big him up for that because, you know, we've got to get it right, don't we? <laughs> don't want him getting a bag on. Um, also, yeah, there's Cullen Marshall, but he, but again, he's from Essex, but we're taking him because he's, he's came to Derby and he's stayed and he, he's great. Right, there we go. There's like, um, yeah, the, do you know what? There's loads more. There's loads more. There there's, always is. There's there loads more. Is. I'm sorry, my mind's just gone blank. When I, yeah, spot. blank when I do that. Um but yeah, it's got it's got a great community, you know. Great. Emma Island as well. That she's a great poet. Yeah, uh, Simon Pratsis Jones, great poet. Um, what was the other part of the question? So I've done the I've done the bigging up. Your, your oh, favourite. Oh, bit oh, of the last <laughs> bit. Plugging myself. Plugging yeah, yourself, yeah. mate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Twitter at J M Thras. So that's J M T in caps H R A S. And then if you just if you search Jamie Thrasivulu, which is spelled T H R A S I V O U L O U. If you just put that into Google, I am the only Jamie Frasivula <laughs> in the world because my parents were like, you know, yeah, let's let's give him the Cypriot, you know, he's got to have the Cypriot surname, but obviously we'll just call him something really English yeah. like Jamie or, Brilliant. or, yeah, so <laughs> there's only one of me in the world, so you, so you will find me quite easily, which is, I suppose is handy. Makes up for all the, uh, all the bullying when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> what a note to end it on I'm thank you joking. so much for uh, chatting to me Jamie if you haven't read Owl Man it's out on Burning Eye Books and you can get hold of the best of a bad situation over on Silhouette Press thank That's you very right, much yeah. thanks a lot it's been a pleasure cheers this episode's poetry recital comes from Jamie Thrasivulu himself and this was a poem he did for the BBC Local Poetry 2019 for National Poetry Day and I feel that it really showcases some of the ideas Jamie was talking about in this episode. This is called Nout But Pride. I thought you were just fields and sheep, the bloke says, before asking me for directions. I told him to head down the jitty, hit the main road and go straight over at the island. He didn't know what a jitty was said the main road looked more like a street and couldn't locate the island as he couldn't see no water just tarmac bricks and mortar why are you calling a roundabout an island anyway he asks so i hit him with the fact that round here we're the furthest from the sea and with so much tarmac brick and mortar we like to reimagine beauty we've not but pride for this place me duck not but pride duck he laughs duck you lot speak a different language round here bruv I told him we like it that way, being hard to place, definitely not south but not quite north neither, just kind of in the way, the odds stacked against, underdog in the race with the biggest characters on the stage. You seen our man like Jack O'Connell and I's are repping these days? We got phenomenal women like Sandy Ryan packing punches too, all Rams fans through and through. The truth is, this city bleeds black and white, but it's much more than just black and white, it's history industry, artistry, it's home. We've not but pride for this place, me duck. Not but pride.
today we have it i really enjoyed talking to jamie thank you so much for taking the time out please do go and check out his debut collection Al man on burning eye books or the best of a bad situation over on silhouette press who knows maybe i'll see him down in the den for Millwall derby if i can get him to come down to london a big thank you goes to you at home for listening as well if you've enjoyed what you've heard please do tell someone you can find us over on instagram people's poetry podcast on twitter at people underscore poetry facebook people's poetry podcast i'm on twitter at jbo pens poems that's jbo pens poems or just point someone in the direction of spotify acast soundcloud and apple podcast if social media doesn't cut it for you or you are a poet that like to get involved with the podcast please do email us at peoplepoetrypodcast at hotmail.com i'd love to hear from you thanks again for choosing poetry